Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. John. And welcome everybody to um, Just a Political. And we welcome our listeners from all over the world and four excellent players of the game. Paul Daly. Hello. Samantha Townsend. Hello. Laura Daly. Hello. And Stuart Sutherland. Um, th- th- thank you so much, everybody, for, for coming to listen to us. I have to tell you that this is not the 44th edition. This is the 43rd edition. This is the 44th edition. There's just a typo on on, on the stuff that's going out. Um, 44 um, editions of this wonderful team telling you what they think about some of the uh, topical political issues um, in the newspapers and on the news at the moment. Uh, we've got far, far fantastic and, and, and I think quite obscure and difficult issues um, that we're going to quiz them about today. Um, and then in the second half, as you know, we take all your um, ideas. Um, so Tim Dredge, that's a brilliant one already. Write it down on a piece of paper and put it to us after the uh, after the main meeting because um that's something i'm sure we'd like to get our teeth into anyway um sort of um let's go straight to moment of the week and have i forgotten anything And we go straight to moment of the week. Uh, sort of, I didn't forget that, of course. We'll edit that out later and um, see what everybody's moment of the week is. Laura, moment of the week. Yeah, I've, I've had I know what it is. It's posting the Sedgefield CLP newsletters to all the members. That's, that's... I am savouring that joy for after the show. All <laughs> oh, right, I see. Okay, okay. Not that I haven't tested you. <laughs> okay, Laura, what's your real moment? Um, the one I decided on was um, I actually just saw it today, and it really hit me. It was it's the new. Um, Dove advertising campaign, which might sound really silly, but um, it, it's really good. It's really good. It's called um, Reverse Selfie. And it starts with this gorgeous picture of this girl. With, she's got the hair and the makeup and she looks dead old and stuff. And then it kind of reverses it and she takes all her makeup off and she flattens all her hair and she is a normal, young absolutely beautiful young girl very young a lot younger than you would think when you see her first photo and it's just about the how awful social media is and how damaging it is to 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 young girls especially who feel like they've got to look a certain way um and it's just trying to change that narrative and the 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 advert it's it's literally a minute long but it's really powerful and i just loved it and i'm gonna just share it everywhere and that every single group that I'm involved in is hoping to do something on this issue because I've spoken to so many people, mums especially, who are just terrified for their children in this in this climate. Um, it's awful. But yeah, go check it out. It's on YouTube. The Dove reverse selfie advert. Go and have a look at it. It's lovely. I am not trying to belittle this issue 
at all, okay, now, because she can get into so, so much trouble so easily. But I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Has it not always been the case, always, that children have tried to go grow old faster than really they ought to want to grow? Yeah, but that's that's not really the overriding issue here. It's It's more, it's not about them wanting to be older. It's the fact that they are in competition with each other if you don't look a certain way you get more bullied and the fact that the um it's just so much more accessible now you don't have to wait to go to school to get bullied you get bullied in your house because you've got hundreds of people text messaging you you know and if you put the wrong type of picture up then you get bullied and um humiliated and you've got to fit into this perfect mold you've got to have the hair the makeup and it's happening at a much younger age and it is really dangerous really damaging um so yeah we've got to we've got to really try and just tackle it I don't know how it's it's a huge issue and I, I think a lot of people will think oh you know there's people dying and stuff but this this is genuinely a really really huge issue and it's really damaging for mental health and for society and for the way our young people grow up and feel their self-worth it is massive so yeah um it's a good start this campaign and and i think um all of us will probably get involved in something else to just keep pushing against the capitalist system that's making us all want to look a certain way <laughs> um spot on thank you very much laura for that and, and a major issue for every parent i would have thought um and grandparents even perhaps um moral choose your friends wisely um sam oh no now is uh, is it a sad moment of the week because you mentioned something in in uh, uh as we were getting ready is that is that your moment of the week or i wasn't going to make it my moment of the week but uh we'll we'll inform the audience that unfortunately this mo this evening i have had to dispose of a, a chicken corpse one of my chickens sadly oh. died uh, that is one of the things you know I take in the rescue chickens from commercial egg production so they do come to me for the last sort of months of life um, and for a dignified retirement so it is part and parcel of the process unfortunately uh, I was going to say I was really happy to actually be able to get out into the community in the last week and I was able to go to Children Alive's community garden which was a fantastic um, just a fantastic couple of hours to spend some time doing some genuine work for the betterment of the community digging up weeds sanding down the old uh, decking that they've got there so they can repaint it um, and I just think um it's important to do these things, keep yourself grounded, but also the conversations you have when you're doing stuff like that are priceless, aren't they? You know, the not forced conversations. Um, and it was really, really positive. And I'm, I'm hoping to get down there as soon as possible again to do some more work. You're brilliant. I'm hopeless at um, <laughs> chat conversations in the street. I, 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 I'm sort of hail fellow well met and I, I run away as fast as possible. Um, but sort of you're, you're really good at them. Uh, the reason I laughed when, when you were in the middle was because somebody's talking about, Anne is talking about setting up a GoFundMe page for me and Paul to have our hair cut. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and so I, I just, sorry, I just cracked out laughing. Um, and um, I have my second COVID um, injection on the 9th, 9th of May. And when I've had my second injection, I'm straight off 
to uh, you've got to a little while to tech haven't you? but sort of when it's taken um i'm off to have my hair cut and oh, i am so and you're just out so that look at it and <laughs> how do these girls i mean he showed me color and then enough down my back how do these girls cope with it when it goes oh, <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, this is just so, ah, oh, dearie me, no. <laughs> sort of, um, anyway, so there's nothing to do with politics. Um, uh, as Sam, tell us something about um, your other life at the moment, because this is really interesting and will be really interesting to, to listeners. Mm, yeah, I've been keeping a little bit of a secret. It won't be a big secret if people have seen me on social media. Uh, basically, for the last couple of months, I've been working on Jesse Joe Jacobs' uh, campaign to become the next Tees Valley Mayor. It's been so fun. Uh, obviously, the election is in a week and um, a couple of days, so that'll be the end of my uh, employment with her. But it's been a lovely couple of months, and I've really enjoyed it. I mean, her campaign has just been fantastic hasn't it but the latest the latest posters are just so out there have you got uh, something can you put something up let's see i thought i had a spare here um oh yeah so I mean, it is they call it the rebel girl artwork and it's um proper art by a proper artists um and uh yeah it's just it's designed to cut through it's being printed on beer mats on postcards on on posters um and it's designed to attract the attention of people who wouldn't usually look at a political advert um and to sort of get in front of people's faces before they realise it's a political advert. Um, and hopefully it'll do that job. It's been distributed across uh, pubs and cafes and hairdressers across the Tees Valley. So hopefully it'll help get the message across. I mean, it's just so radical and she deserves to win just for those posters alone. I mean, it just breaks the mold. And I was just so pleased to see it. It is fantastic rebel girl. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you so much for all you're doing for, the, for that campaign, Sam. Um, right, Paul, moment of the week for you. Um, so I'm going to go for, well, I could have gone for my COVID jab, but I've had my second one now, so that's okay. But uh, instead, I'm going to go for um, the IOC have banned um, people taking the knee. Um, at the Olympics, so the International Olympic Committee have banned people doing this. Now, one of the interesting things about this is they they went on talk radio and they got the Free Speech Alliance, oh, sorry, the Free Speech Union were talking about this on on talk radio, and it was a woman called Emma Webb. uh, And they asked her what they thought about... um, basically banning something and and denying these people free speech. Now, if you know anything about the Free Speech Union, it was set up by Toby Young, who's been dreadfully angry about the idea that you can't be racist anymore. You just can't be racist in this day and age. It's awful. Our free speech has been trampled on and we want to be racists and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, apparently they don't seem to care very much about free speech because they were very much behind banning um, the free speech of anyone in the Olympics and said they shouldn't be allowed to have free speech and to be able to take the knee. Um, and it was just like, it's almost as if those people in this free speech union 
weren't really talking about free speech at all. They were more talking about like being the crazy. right. Yeah, well, you know, just other people having the exact same opinion as them or not challenging it. So people with their opinion are allowed to say whatever they want and other opinions aren't allowed to challenge that. And I think we've seen this a lot. And I think like when people talk about cancel culture and, and all these things, and I think I, I, I disagree with cancel culture. I think you need to talk things out because if you cut down conversation, you're gone, you're out of the, you, you know, you're never going to change any minds if you don't have conversations. However, they seem to be for cancel culture when it's, <laughs> when it's anything to do with things that they don't agree with. So um, they want the right to be unchallenged racists. So well done, the Free Speech Union. You've made absolute fools of yourselves. And also, I'm not too keen on the IOC doing that. But, you know, if people want to take the knee, they should be. And remember the iconic picture of the of the two athletes with the gloves in the air that were lent to them by the other guy who had a pair of gloves and gave them one each. Um, the the third man on, on that uh, podium, which is such a lovely story. So, um, yeah, um, that's that's my moment of the week. Yes. All three of those people suffered for the rest of their life for that. And the mm. third man, most of all, um, sort of uh, uh, crazy that all these years later, we're still trying to um, say that racism is wrong. Bonkeroonies. Thank you, Paul. Stuart, moment of your week. Uh, mine is going to be my COVID job. Because I got mine on exactly the same day as Paul. And uh, mine's a bit more interesting because uh, I'd rocked up at me, me place where I'm getting it done in Durham. I happily go down, I sit down, and then the man behind me is COVID jab patient, uh, 10,000. They wanted to take his photo. <laughs> he wasn't best pleased that, you know, uh, he was going to be, you know, stuck up on the wall or, you know, he was. He, he was Looking at me, he was quite angry that I'd just beaten him to the door. So uh, I, I had to sit down and think about it because I thought it was like it was a lucky escape for me. But then I realised it's not in the slightest bit about the block getting the jab, is it? You know, that taking those pictures and having a bit of a celebration was about the volunteers and the, the medical staff. They would, you know, for, for a long time now, really struggled. And this was a big moment for them. So it just... A moment to, to think about uh, the huge effort and a big thank you to them. Yeah. Um, I, uh, um, Barbara went for her second jab and in and out very quickly. And uh, they're the, the moving very quickly now to get those second jabs out. And they've slowed down the first ones, which is bad news if you're in your 40s, to tell you the truth. But... Um, Sort of nevertheless, just a fantastic effort from so many people. Yes, and you're right, so many volunteers. And it is a, a, a huge thank you for, to them. And, and how, how much do we all owe them? We are going to be talking about COVID uh, later in the show, um, but not in, in, in Britain. Um, lovely comment from Musa. Um, perhaps those fists shine more brightly than the Olympic flame. Um, there's certainly more... Mem memorable than other things that happened at that Olympics because I can't tell you a single thing that happened at those elections other than that. Um, but bless them, bless them. Okay, um, right. Um, I'm not going to forget this time. Now it's time for the big story. 
And we're now ready to go with the big story. And the big story this week <laughs> is two people falling out and, and, and sort of... And, and really, it's very difficult to pick a side here <laughs> because neither of them are worthy of any kind of support or uh, respect whatsoever. We have Dominic Cummings hitting out at Boris Johnson. Paul, tell us all about it and give us your verdict on it. Okay, so um, Dominic Cummings is, uh, is, is no longer in the good books with Boris Johnson. I suppose we saw that a little while back when he got the sack um, and he had his little box of stuff. Apparently in that box was quite a lot of important information that said all sorts of things about Boris Johnson, um, such as, uh, well, it's alleged that the story about um, when Boris Johnson said, uh, let the bodies pile up in their thousands, um, allegedly said that, and it may have come from Dominic Cummins, um, actually, my concern there is not that he said it; is the fact that he did it is the is the issue. You know, the bodies did pile up in the thousands, and we did know all about herd immunity and all these things. Um, he says that he's unethical, that Boris Johnson's unethical, and that he's a liar, and that he's accused him of different things where the leaks are actually coming from um, Boris Johnson's um, partners, friends, and things, and it's all very, very tit for tat. Now, the interesting thing for me is there was nothing interesting in the fact that there were, there were no new revelations. All these stories I've seen before. The interesting thing for me is the media, um, the, the way the media have dealt with it. So these things like, um, you know, about the renovation of Boris Johnson's flat, that he got Tory donors to pay for it or or whatever, you know, and, and he did this a, a few months ago because apparently, um, apparently Carrie Simmons decided that it was very John Lewis which is a bad thing apparently, uh, and she needed some special designer to come in. Yeah, so I think most of us think uh, John Lewis is pretty posh, to be honest. But um, so anyway, this th that was the way that number eleven, where she lives with Boris Johnson, because they live above number eleven because it's bigger rather than number ten. Um, they they decided that they needed it renovated, and they they decided to get money from this, like some sort of charity or crowdfunding or something like that, to get it done. Um, and he he said it's like unethical, and then uh, there's all sorts of other things about um, about an inquiry was going to implicate one of Carrie Simmons's friends. And Boris Johnson said, well, shall we just cut down the inquiry and not bother doing that anymore? And this is coming from Dominic Cummins. It's in his blog. But, you know, we know Boris Johnson's a liar. He's been sacked for lying twice. This is a matter of public record. We know that he lied again and again. We know we've been gaslit. We know he says one thing one week and another the next. We know he says, oh, there's no chance of us locking down. And then he locks down or, you know, he's been shaking hands with everyone. And then he's some sort of COVID hero because he caught it. You know, it, it it's a ridiculous situation. What worries me is no one's really had a pop at him for it. As much as people were saying, oh, the BBC are dead biased against him. They weren't. They were very protective over him. Now, what's happened is one of the people that they want to protect, Dominic Cummins, because we saw him protected when he blatantly violated the rules on COVID. He was protected. Boris Johnson's been protected by the media. They've attacked left-wing people. They've left Starmer alone because he's not doing anything. But 
like Corbyn, because he was planning to change things, got all sorts of smears. Like he had a Russian hat on on the BBC on Newsnight and things like that. Like they edited his picture to make him look all Russian and under the control of the Kremlin. But then they won't say anything against these people until this coalition between Johnson and uh, and Cummings breaks. And Cummings then like comes out and he starts saying the bad stuff about Johnson. And all of a sudden people are like, all right, OK, we'll listen to him. Because our press is so right wing and so in the thrall of two or three people, like a handful of people, that it doesn't matter how much they lie. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. What matters is this, the opinion of a small number of people because journalistic integrity in the big newspapers that are owned by billionaires or in the BBC or on ITV, it's a thing of the past. You know, you still get good journalists there, but the editorial around it is absolutely appalling. And I know this from personal experience that good journalists have said the editorial will change this story and... Uh, that's basically where we are, and I think that sums up the the issue that I see. Ruth Davidson, um, sort of, um, she th- seems to think in the comments here um, that the tide is starting to turn on journalism. Um, that, um, and I've certainly heard it said that um, Number Ten and the Tories are wanting this story to go away. I mean, you've got this kind of trail of ministers coming out and saying, "Well, uh, his word is good enough for me." And things like that. But Ruth Davidson says she's surprised to see the BBC stating that he'd said it. Not allegedly said it, he'd said it. I mean, do you not think that it's, I mean, and during, um, during the, uh, just going back, Paul, during the COVID, very often it was the press who were getting slaughtered for, for keeping raising the issue of the problems, of the deaths, of the lack of PPE and things like that. Do you not think that the, I mean, are you, do you really think that this is a right-wing press who are all out to protect the government? Yeah, but it, it's it's aspects of the government. So it's, it's not necessarily the government, it's the establishment and it's their friends and it's their class of people, these people who know each other, who went to university together, who hang out together, who go to the same bars, who talk to one another. Like, you know, there was a well-known WhatsApp group that Dominic Cummins just sent a WhatsApp message into and everyone had printed. We saw this when allegedly a Labour activist hit Matt Hancock's aide in the face and they all they all went with it, like Laura Coonsberg went with it, Peston went with it. They were like, oh, one of his aides has been assaulted in this this campaign. They never really retracted that. They just kind of quietly went, oh, we were wrong. And it turned out when the video came out of it, um, it had been, he'd waved, <laughs> he'd waved and someone had walked into his hand. It was so blatant. But they printed that because Dominic Cummins had told them to. This is what we're talking about. When I'm talking about poor journalism, I'm not talking about necessarily like just Boris Johnson or just the government. I'm talking about just, it could just be purely lazy. It could be they're just like, well, we've got this source, Dominic Cummins, he's a good source. When he writes, then people listen. When he like leaks, people listen. So therefore, we'll say whatever he says. And, you know, that's, that's newsworthy. That will get us ratings. That will get us newspaper, newspapers sold, etc. Samantha, I mean, we have here the um, the PM's former advisor dishing dirt on him. He's clearly uh, a, a wounded and angry man. 
just trying to damage the prime minister. Question is, is he succeeding? Um, it's so tricky, isn't it? Because it's it's who is the message uh, getting to? You know, do I think that it died in the world Tories uh, are looking at this and thinking about changing their vote? No, um, because there's an idea that we know Tories are corrupt, so it's not a big story. Um, it is very gratifying for us on the left to see them fight each other and, you know, uh, un unravel each other's secrets. But at the end of the day, I think you'll still, if you phone around some voters today, you'll find out that, you know, a lot of people still think Boris Johnson's done a great job in the pandemic. I, I'm curious, um, uh, John, I think, yeah, John mentioned in the, the comments, I don't trust them, something else is going on. And to me, when you see these headlines, front page of the Daily Mail, like that's the question, why are the Daily Mail attacking the Tory establishment? What are they trying to make happen? And is that something that's going to benefit us? Probably not. <laughs> um, now, that's interesting because Sam Willis, too, says it's probably just a diversion. But you're absolutely right. If it is a diversion, my God, what's it trying to divert us from? Um, sort of, uh, I mean, I mean, Laura, this, the, the, the point that Paul made earlier is what horrifies me. The fact that we have just evidence upon evidence of sleaze and lies. And the, the Tory lead is as big as ever. And, 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 and sort of, it sort of people just could is it that people could not care that their government that the leader is a liar i mean is there something else going on here why is this not damaging the tory vote well i think there's a lot of answers to that john i think no i think people do care i don't think they've got the time to really pick the truth out of anything you know we're all too busy trying to survive or be able to pay for our bills and it's designed that way so we don't question and I think there's you know there's a really high level of deference to our government in this country people think oh they're in charge so they get to decide people have completely forgotten that we put them there and actually they serve us and I think it's worth remind reminding people of that and also I think I think we need to not be naive about this. We're not just battling Boris Johnson here. He might be the leader, but you chop his head off, another snake's head grows right back, you know? And I think that is the media are an equal player in this game at the minute because the people who own the media are the same people who own the Tory party and the same people who own all of the establishments and massive conglomerates and corporations. People we'll never know about, we'll never know their names. But, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm going down a QAnon rabbit hole here, but essentially there is the powerful and they will always be in charge. That it's just a simple way that our society is now built. And we have to tackle that. We have to keep tackling that, but we can't just put it on one person. I mean, God, Boris Johnson, how he's in power. He is only in power because he has got the power of the world behind him because he, I mean... So many lies, so many inaccuracies, so many failures, just pathetic. And he comes out and, you know, he, 
in the early days it was like oh well if we lost 50,000 people would be lucky and people were like yeah 50,000 okay and now look at us and he's like well you know we're doing well we're one of the best and it's like you just say this stuff and no one questions it no everyone just goes well it must be true because he said it just like for years and years and years we've been saying it must be true because it's on the telly and before that it must be true because it's in the paper and we have that deference to all these outlets and we need to realize that they are telling us what to think we need to start thinking for ourselves and any sane person given this information without the horrendous year we've just had to live through if you were just given this information in a book or a podcast to read you'd go what no way this is ridiculous and history the history books around this time people are going to look back and go well surely people aren't that daft no we're not that daft but there is just systematic things working against us um layers upon layer upon layer of them and so the fact that Dominic Cummins has quite clearly thrown his toys out of the pram, um, I believe it has been designed. It is an event that has happened. It's been allowed to be reported and he's allowed that to be reported and the establishment have allowed that to be reported. Whether they now are thinking maybe it's time to get rid of Boris Johnson, we'll put another one in that we can control. Now, I was going to ask Stuart this, but I'll ask you it because John Robertson says, that what, what all this is, is it's just getting us ready psychologically for replacing Johnson with Sunak. I absolutely agree. Maybe not Sunak, maybe somebody else. I think the establishment and the powers that be will have someone in mind, will have dirt on those people to be able to control them. Yes, I've been watching House of Cards, but I believe it to be very <laughs> accurate. <laughs> and I think you know, that's what's happening. House of Cards, Western. <laughs> <laughs> send somebody down the rabbit hole to get you back. <laughs> At the end of the day, would this have happened if it wasn't for Brexit and COVID? Do you think that the fact that this is happening the way it is, is because the nation isn't behaving normally because things are so strange? Or, or do you think there are other factors at play then? I think it's not that the nation isn't behaving normally, it's that the, the Conservative Party is having to behave abnormally. Uh, you know, they're having to do things that, you know, would you'd consider more socialist policies, aren't you? And you've got lots of struggles within the, the Tory party itself. And I think that plays into the kind of, you know, news that's put out there, uh, especially when you're, you're talking about maybe a leadership change and uh, how, how the media tries to influence the public regarding certain politicians in these kind of situations. Uh, I, I think a big part of it is in, an internal struggle uh, for, for the Conservative Party. Lot, you know, lot, lots of the, the stuff that comes out of the mouths of these politicians doesn't materialise, or you'll find them saying very, you know, damaging things. And... Uh, which is, you know, on, on, on form for them. They've got form for this stuff. When Boris Johnson says awful things, he's got form. So, yeah, I think it's just all internal struggles. Tim Dredge thinks that part of the problem is, is that um, Boris Johnson's just got bored with being the Prime Minister. But it's harder than he expected. And what, we, what, <laughs> what we're seeing says... Um, uh, Tim Dredge, 
It's um, Go versus Sunak. What we're seeing is a little battle going on. Oh, Gov, God. Interesting. Um, thank you, everybody. Um, wow, what comments. Um, and, and, and sort of thank you for unpacking uh, that for us. Let's see how we do on the, the next three. Um, we've got three more topics for you. And I've remembered. Can't hear the damn thing. Ready to go? And we come to our second. Stuart! Oh, I don't know anything about this, Stuart. I just put the title from the, the newspaper. Tell us all about it. Ex-mini... I mean, it's another damning thing for the government. Ex-minister Johnny Mercer says that almost nobody tells the truth in Johnson's government. Now, this is hardly news, but it, it is a, a, a new story. Um, what's going on here, Stuart? Uh, well, uh, Johnny Mercer was... Uh... He's an MP and he's 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 resigned uh, lately. Uh, whether the, uh, my understanding is he was going to to make an announcement at the dispatch box, but uh, the, the Tory whips got, got hold of the, the information and uh, hurried the process up. Uh, and uh, so he's come out. He, he's you know he feels that he must have some kind of a moral compass, a moral code, and he doesn't want to be accountable to the kind of lies and uh, broken promises that the, the party is putting out there. Uh, he was uh, involved uh, with, regarding some of the stuff with Northern Ireland and uh, the prosecutions around uh, some of the crimes that went on there regarding uh, military figures. And obviously one of Boris Johnson's election uh, promises and one of his promises in the leadership was to, to take on some of these issues and, and you know get things sorted. Uh, certainly, there's uh, been promises towards uh, veterans' homelessness uh, and uh, the timeframes in which convictions can take place regarding uh, some of the stuff that went on in Northern Ireland. And when, when somebody has to make, you know, it's a big statement, I think, to, to quit as an MP, to walk away from uh that uh just from the level of you know corruption and stuff going on i mean as, as i understood it he, he he told the prime minister that he was in he was going to resign over this issue and uh the prime minister said well, i sack you and uh the, the uh you're not resigning matey i'm gonna sack you and um you're absolutely right um it was a big issue but um it was because he'd been let down by the government. I mean, is there anything, Laura, do you think there's anything deeper, anything more important going on there? Or is it is this just Johnny Mercer um, mm. uh, versus... Quite the opposite. I think there's something far less important going on here. I think he's chucking his toys out the pram, a bit like Dominic Cummins has. The, the bit that sort of stood out for me when I was reading about this, and I can't claim to know a great deal, but um, essentially he wanted to pledge to end vexatious historical investigations of veterans who served in Northern Ireland. Now that's, that's like a really big deal and lots of conversations need to happen around that. But apparently Boris Johnson had said he was going to do that. This week he said he's not going to. So then he resigned. And then, I mean, I, I agree with Johnny Mercer 
on a lot of what he said because he's saying that the Tory party are um, a cesspit, that he's never worked anywhere where it's just so um, uh, untrustworthy, they're all cowards, and all, so all of that I totally get on board with. I don't think he means it, I think he's in a mood. Um, and I think the fact that he said he's worked all of this out, this whole historical um, abuse of the system, lies, um, corruption. He's worked all this out in the last 36 hours. So, yeah, he's going. <laughs> and I'm like, but you were in the Tory party for a long time. How has this only just come on your radar? Um, so, yeah, it's just another it's another story to get out there to attack the government. Um, there's plenty of ways to do that. I think probably some of the, there's a lot of truth in what he says, the reasons behind why he did it, um, I think perhaps are a bit disingenuous, to use one of Paul's favourite words. Um, now, Johnny Mercer is coming, uh, Samantha, is coming into a lot of hostility on, on, on the chat. I mean, they haven't got a, he's a liar, he, he loves himself, um, he <laughs> let the um, veterans he was supposed to be supporting down. Um, Johnny handbags Mercer. I mean, that's a very dismissive statement. And 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 sort of, and Anna Willis, it was just an excuse to run away. I mean, <laughs> do you do you? I, I, I always thought Johnny Mercer was quite a decent chap. I mean, I've got that completely <laughs> wrong. I mean, what a shock! Another self-serving Tory, you know, <laughs> with, with a, a very loose grasp of the truth based on what what suits him best. Uh, to be honest, um, I'm basing my opinion on what people are saying in the comments because I've never <laughs> um, noticed that he exists. Um, so yeah there is obviously a strong feeling in the comments that he's that he's let veterans down and this was the way of him divorced himself of any responsibility yeah and says he's definitely not a decent bloke and i trust Anne and her sense of um what people are like because <laughs> she likes me so she's got to be a good sense judge of character i can say he's, 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 <laughs> i advise johnny mercer not to not to read the comments he's, he's going to <laughs> I don't think we'll come across our our humble show. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, again, it's nice to see Tories fighting each other, um, and it's great to have the this ammunition in our back pocket. Of Tory minister says Tories can't be trusted, but we knew that. Uh, hopefully, it will that will help permeate through to people who thought they were in safe hands. Thank you. Paul, very quickly, because we are running out of time here. Um, is this, do you agree with your wife that this is a, 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 a nothing story? Or are you with Stuart that this is a, a major story and much more important than it might seem on the surface? I think it's, it, everyone knows that. Now I, well, I advise you to answer wisely here, Paul. Gonna, yeah, I'll try my best. <laughs> So I think he's a stop clock. You know, stop clocks are right twice a day, aren't they? Like, he, he's right. You, every, no, barely anyone tells the truth in government. That's that's where we are at the moment in this government. He's right. He's kind of right for the wrong reasons as well. So he's, um, you know, he, Boris Johnson did promise in the manifesto to 
bring in some sort of legislation to mean that um, that veterans could never be charged with anything. Um, I don't think that's a good idea. Certainly not with regards to um, Bloody Sunday, etc. Uh, I don't want to get too deeply into this, but um, I think that, you know, I'm sure the vast majority of veterans will stand by their record and have done, you know, haven't haven't done anything like that. But I think the ones that do do wrong need to be investigated because that's what a democracy is. Um, so he's like, he's right for the wrong reasons. Um, and also, wasn't he one of those guys? He just absolutely loves himself, Johnny Mercer. He's one of those awful guys. I think he was one of the Tory ministers who, when he got his COVID jab, he took off his entire shirt rather than rolling up his sleeve. And he was like, look at me, I'm getting my COVID jab. And then put it on social media and that. He's a prat. <laughs> Thank you. And that we will leave for Mr. Mercer. And um, the um, before everybody feels starts feeling sorry for him. Um, it strikes me that it's the uh, the message of the Bible. So all Cretans are liars, said the Cretan. And um, make of that what you want. Um, next question, um, Samantha. Oh, this is um, an amazing story. Um, the UK inquiry blames pervasive racism for unequal commemoration of truth. This is just awful. Tell, uh, tell our listeners all about it, Sam. It, it is um, really sad. And the story is that up to 350,000 of our war dead, people who died for our freedom um, are not laid in, in unmarked or, or not, not commemorated at all by any kind of war grave and those are soldiers from Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, the Middle East and, and the broader Commonwealth. Um, this is coming at a time where we've had a, a report saying there's no racism in England. Of course, um, we are talking about something that happened a very long time ago. You know, we're talking about the First World War um, and, and following that. So, you know, it was a different world then, but it is really worrying that this is only coming into sort of the collective consciousness now, that it's not something that was well known. And it's not something that even as recently, I'm, I'm, I am quite young, I would have expected this kind of thing to be included in my school curriculum when we were learning about the, the world wars, um, which we did extensively. Um, and it's a case of the whitewashing of our curriculum, literally, where these voices and these sacrifices have been entirely excluded. Um, if there is a positive thing to recognise, it's that this is, um, it is coming out now and people are uh, making positive noises about correcting i mean i don't know how much it can be corrected how, how what kind of records were kept even you know um but it's one of these things that the arc of 
uh, oh, I'm not going to do it right. I'm not going to do the quote right. But basically, this is something it, it, it kind of it was sparked by David Lammy doing it, doing a documentary and just discovering discovering it a couple of years ago. And now we're seeing a conservative government um, agreeing to try and make some kind of good out of this and try and find some way to commemorate it was like up to 350,000 people who fought and died for our country and our freedom for the commonwealth um it is shocking the yeah the only the only light at the end of the tunnel is that hopefully um it teaches us something and hopefully my kids or <laughs> or well I don't know uh will maybe in your in the recent years to come um that's not the right word either, uh, learn about this in their school. Um, and I think the education unions are doing some good work on decolonizing the uh, curriculum. And I really hope that this gives that the extra push it needs. Thank you. Um, and really, so I don't think it's that people in the past weren't allowed to teach those things. I think it's that they just, didn't it wasn't um it wasn't a historical fact which was judged of sufficient uh, which teachers knew about because it wasn't judged by the community important enough to actually be publicly aired and uh, i think there's an awful lot of teachers uh, 20 30 years ago if they'd known about it would have had something to say about it but it was well, just you were a history teacher john I was a history society teacher and I, and I certainly shared some of the deep injustices uh, of the way that the British Empire treated um, uh, sort of its non-white uh, members. Um, and I certainly celebrated the contribution of non-white troops, but I didn't know we'd dissed them over like this, quite frankly. The scale um, is just horrific. I mean, obviously lots of people it's, died. It's, it's just the, it's the, it's oh. the dis, disrespect that somehow white soldiers deserved the individual contribution being marked by a grave, but those non-white soldiers dump them in a community one, the communal uh, commemoration, that'll do them. And mm. so, uh, Paul, um, uh, Winston Churchill has, um, uh, coming to s some criticism for this. I mean, it's almost the same as Boris Johnson. Do you think it'll dint his reputation at all? Nah, no. Um, Winston Churchill is um, is revered, but his track record on the miners, his track record on racism, his track record on genocide, etc., his track record on concentration camps, his track record on sending the black and tans into Ireland, you know, these are all things that are terrible. He did some terrible things, Winston Churchill, but we're meant to gloss over it all because, like, he is the figurehead for the entire war. He won the war pretty much single-handedly. And, you know, he's, he's not... Churchill isn't really a person. He's an idea of, of, the, of, of the war effort in Britain. And... He happened to be the leader. He happened to make some very good decisions. He also happened to make some very bad decisions. He was going to be removed from government at one point. People forget Atlee's role. People forget other government ministers' roles in that. 
um, because it's all Churchill. So everything that everyone did, everyone's grandparents and stuff like that, despite a lot of them coming back and voting him out straight away at the first opportunity with a huge military vote against Churchill, that's all glossed over because, you know, we've, we're meant to be subservient, wave our little flags and say, God bless you, Winston. Um, so, no, it's not going to dent his reputation. We know these things, that, and I think Samantha, when she mentioned about the, the fact that this racism reports come out and said that Britain doesn't have a institutional racism, it does. It does. Like, the, you know, the, the, whole, the, the whole empire was built on racism. They had to make up racism. Racism isn't a thing. Racism isn't natural. Racism is not how we are supposed to live our lives. Racism was made up to justify slavery and racism, like, you know, people were inferior because of skin colour for the first time. You know, that is that is why people want to teach the empire, teach slavery, teach colonialism in school. So people know about these things. So if people knew a little bit more about all of that, perhaps they'd be able to make their minds up a little bit better about all these things. I think that, I mean, I agree with Dan Willis' mind on this one. I'm agreeing with Dan a lot today. That um, sort of uh, 20, 30 years ago, um, history teachers were not subservient to the idea of, of a white Britain winning both world wars. We were much more critical. This kind of um, uh, hero worship has all come in. In, in, in the past 10, 15 years. Um, Stuart, how do we put this great injustice right? That's, uh, you know, a lot of hard work. But I think uh, if we started to take uh, racism on as, a, as an issue, as a concern, and actually taking it seriously at government level would be uh, a, a pretty fine way of starting to take on uh, rectifying what, what, what's gone wrong in the past. Thank you. Lots of brilliant comments on the, um, which Samantha might want to pick up in the chat afterwards. Some fantastic comments there. Thank you, Stuart, for that. And uh, last question. Um, and I put this Hang in. On, I uh, haven't talked about this. I've got a point I need to make. <laughs> well, I was, so, right, well, you, you, you've got minus a minute to mention. Okay, it. that's fine. Just quickly, the report itself that was um, concluded to say it is racism, was actually carried out, carried out by the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, which is nothing to do with the government. It was set up in 1917 uh, by the Commonwealth, and the president at the minute is Prince Edward, Duke of Kent, and I think the kings and queens and princes and princesses have all had a very high flying role in this particular thing, and their job is to commemorate all Commonwealth war dead individually. So they're the people who made the choice um, and have not subsequently done anything about it. But they've done this commission. Um, I'm hoping that they'll go, oops, <laughs> and rectify it. Um, but it's really interesting that I think a lot of people are assuming that this is all to do with the government, but actually it's it's not. It's a separate thing. Um, and it looks like the monarchy have had a lot to do with it. But I'll leave it there. Thank you so Make much. Of that what you were. your question, Laura. Yeah. Um, so that you did really well there. That was just a minute. Um, <laughs> so that we ought to go on just a minute. I tell you, we'd, we'd, we'd absolutely ace it, you know. Um, <laughs> you lot can talk for five minutes without repetition, deviation, or, or 
Well, maybe not deviation. Okay, what should we do about India? Real, I put this on the on, on the agenda. It wasn't in the in the poll, but my God, there's things happening in India which are just horrific, and 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 sort of. So, Laura, tell us about them and tell us about what's happening and why it's going wrong there, and tell us about what we ought to be doing as a nation to try and put that right. And then I'll sort of um, uh, when you've finished. I'll see if anybody else has got anything to say because we're in our last seven minutes now. Okay, so I'll be as quick as I can. But no, um, no, no, no. It's your, it's your question. The the COVID pandemic in India is is spiked so badly that they are now on something like they're over three hundred thousand new cases a day. Um, okay, their their population is is huge, but that is still a high number of cases. Um, they're reporting on average over, well, nearly 3,000 deaths a day. Um, there is no room in the hospitals. They've run out of oxygen. They um, don't have enough doctors to staff these big hospitals to try and help people. So now they're bringing in people who are training as psychiatrists and psychologists and things to try and help on the COVID wards. Um, the, the new strain over there is now affecting children quite badly as well. So because of the way a lot of the households are set up in India, um, you know, they're, they're not separated out. So now whole families are coming down with them and they've got nowhere to go because they can't go to the hospital. Um, the, a lot of the doctors over there are saying that the reported statistics are not even a third of what is actually happening over there. Uh, crematoriums are full. Um, you can't bury your dead. Um, there are reports of queues around the block of people having their dead family members in their car to just chuck on a pile when they get to the front of the queue. And that's how they're saying goodbye to their family members, which is devastating. People are dying in hallways. People are screaming for help. You can imagine it is, it's just devastating, absolutely devastating. The numbers are massive. Um, the reasons behind it, um, I've I've tried to sort of track down a few interviews from people who were there, especially people from Delhi, where a lot of the scenes are coming from. Now, if you watch the BBC reports and everything, and they are really harrowing, so there's a warning before you go and watch them. They're terrible. Bear in mind that Delhi has one of the best hospital systems in India. So have a look. Like You're not even going to see the small villages and small towns who don't have that and the impact that's going to have on them. It's got to be devastating. Um, so I've had a look at some people who've lived there and their interviews and what they've been saying. And essentially what, what they're saying is that Prime Minister Modi has um, not done enough. He, he should have locked down. He said he didn't want to because he didn't think the Indian people would accept that. <laughs> um, also, there's, there's this whole thing where they've shipped out. A, they, they're actually... There's, They've got the most vaccines there per capita in one of the cities and they've been developing a lot of them, but they've shipped them all out for money. Um, they've stopped doing that now, but we're at a point now where it's too late and just vaccinating people is not going to help because you, you the peak is so high, so high. It's vertical. Um, so how we fix it. I mean, you know me, we've had this conversation about what we do in Britain and I always say, well, we need a time machine. You know, it's all fun and games, but actually we need, we, this is a situation that really needs sorting out. And I think the only way we do that is by accepting that this is a humanitarian crisis. 
um, and that we need to find charities and get other countries to ship in that aid. And I know um, the UK have shipped in um, a lot of oxygen bottles and things to go to their hospitals. President Biden today said that he wants to help. I don't know what form that'll take. I don't know if it's going to be enough um, because this is huge, you know, um, yeah. as we said, all, yeah. the, all the issues that go with the, the living conditions. I'm not trying to say Indies, uh, you know, poor, but they, they have the, this sort of open plan sort of lifestyle. And you've seen the cities get really packed. And I just, I don't know. I don't, we need to send in aid from all of the world. And in yeah, the rest of the world is struggling. Um, if you look at the the world statistics on, um, on the spikes of, of COVID-19, it's interesting because ours has gone right down. I'm sure it's going to go back up, but but the world has just steadily gone up and up. And 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 a lot of that is to do with this pandemic in India because it is so massive. The world's still suffering, so it's come. Who can help? Who has the capacity to do that? Um, and of course, Matt Lumley um, points out that this is not an issue where we are an island. Because when you get these massive out-of-control runs, you also get these out-of-control production of variants. And uh, so there's only much of time before we find variants that our um, vaccines don't cover. And then suddenly we're in it. Yeah. It's, it it's sort of, this is something about, isn't it, uh, Laura? That they have, national governments have not appreciated it, that this is an, a global problem uh, well i think that's 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 part of the problem and it is with everything we do and, and even that what mark said he's absolutely right and he's nailed on exactly what people think what about me but actually if we were a bit more internationalist and thought about everybody we could have all helped each other at every stage but we're too busy thinking about oh well we should help them because then we might not get it and and I just it, it's I really struggle with that because we should have all just been helping each other from uh, I realise that's pipe dreams you know the world has borders imaginary borders that some fella drew on a map and it's really upsetting but but they're humans at the end of the day and we should if those who can help should simple as that. Um, I'm sure that Paul and you the the, the show ends Paul. You've got the last word. I think we need to look at things in the... It, I, I listened to a podcast called Rise of the Iron Men. It had Duterte, it had um, Boris Johnson, it had Bolsonaro, it had Modi. And if you look at where the pandemic's been worse, it's been where they've had these Iron Men leaders, these far-right leaders that have got a little touch of racism about them, uh, very right-wing um, and I think it comes from an attitude of trying to like just think in this hyper individualism, this like you're not caring about other people. In a pandemic, the nature doesn't respect who you think are inferior to you. It doesn't respect the idea that you think like Hindus are superior to Muslims or whatever, like Modi does. You know, it doesn't respect those borders because what will happen is it will grow. And um, and as you said, new variants will will appear when you don't look after your people. The world needs to look at vaccine patents as well. There's been a lot of that in the chat as well. 
Bill Gates defending vaccine patents and things like that. You know, the, you know, this is this is bigger than people making a profit. This is so much bigger than this. This is like this is for the sake of humanity. Do we want another? Do we want it to go around the world again? Do we want a new, stronger strain to go around the world again? What do we want to do here? Do we want to help the world, or do we just want to? I don't know. Make a profit out of it, and that's. It appears that some people just want to make profit out of it. Thank you. Um, sort of um, and, uh, uh, stop the boss in full flow there. Um, right, uh, Sam and Stuart, sorry, we have no time. We've already overrun our, our slot. Um, listeners, you must, you must listen to this show and think, well, this is a cut above your normal political discussion show. And, and, and sort of the other thing is, is that isn't it so real and so down to earth from not high ups up there pontificating, but real on the ground people telling you what they think. I think it's fantastic. And we're privileged to have these four people. Now, you know what's going to happen. We're going to go and listen to a song. We're going to replace my water and um and 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 sort of and, and we're going to come back here for the second half when sam's going to go through some of the statements that you in, made in the chat because my golly there's some phenomenal things happening in there um, and then the second thing that's going to happen is that we normally um take questions <laughs> and, and that's when we ruin our political careers altogether um and 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 and, and, and sort of and we just have a little chat with our with our um, listeners and our commentators and so we'll see you back in five minutes um god bless you team you're just brilliant today thank you very much indeed see you in five minutes time everybody god bless you bye bye my name is jack atkinson i'm not afraid and i live and die by this vow that i've made the only good fascist a dead one they say and a rhyme we are When I first left all all them months ago I told them I'd come not to kill but to cure For an ambulance driver my shot's pretty sure And a rhyme we are There'll be no passerine, no passerine, no passerine today. The fascists have come for our freedom, and we ain't gonna give it away. There'll be no passerine here. I told my mother, now mother be strong For the left way is right and the right way is wrong And you can stick that on my grave when I'm gone For I'm a we are There'll be no passerine, no passerine no pass around today 
may be cast and the cast may be cast but you armies of darkness you best do your worst cause to win yeah well you gotta get past us first and around the real we are there'll be no pass around no pass around no pass around today The fascists have come for a freedom We ain't gonna give it away There'll be no pass around here No pass around No pass around No pass around today No pass around No pass around No pass around today No pass around No pass around No pass around today Fascists have come for a freedom We ain't gonna give it away There'll be no pass around here today Hello and welcome to the bit where we all destroy our political careers, as John said. <laughs> um, the comments today have been absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much, um, especially for talking very much about that minister that I didn't really know very much about. You really helped me with that. Um, there was a funny bit earlier where Ruth Davidson said something along the lines of, um, I don't know what media to trust anymore. I'm just suspicious of them all. And I said, yeah, you should definitely be suspicious of this one because we've got such a bias. <laughs> uh, but that's the great thing, isn't it? We put our bias out there um, and we where other people don't. And you, you're left to sort of guess who's paying for what and, and what the biases are. So, um, and a huge and very valuable com uh, just 
discussion going on right now about the role of patents and capitalism in medicine that's that's what it is isn't it you know it's capitalism in medicine is never going to be for the benefit of the people who need the medicine it's always going to be for the benefit of the people who can make money off the medicine um and where are we at where are we at mark mentioned uh when people talk about patents he always goes back to the polio vaccine which has no patent and uh the the discovery the isolation of insulin uh which you know was freely given to the world population as information for which we can now uh you know use to keep our fellow humans alive um and what Laura said earlier about the fact that, you know, if we if we go, oh, well, this is eventually bad for us. So that's why we should care about it rather than just caring about uh, human beings suffering and dying um, and trying to minimise that. It's really worrying, isn't it? A lot of the news coverage was um, people in India are dying. And people, some people in England, uh, you know, come from India and they're very upset about it. Well, actually, people who don't come from India should be very upset about it as well. And I certainly am. And I know that everybody else on this panel is. Um, full stop. You know, the capitalist system has no place in keeping people alive. Um, we should not be selling life-saving vaccinations to the highest bidder and I think that's really um, shown the really ugly side of humanity that side of the the coronavirus pandemic uh, earlier up in the thread uh, Anne said how how is it possible this is happening in India if they manufacture the vaccines mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately that's the capitalist system you know just because they manufacture them doesn't mean they're allowed to use them on their own people uh, yeah Laura go for it yeah, just um, on the back of what you were saying there about um, carrying on the discussion about, oh, well, it could be us one day, that sort of thing. Um, it's interesting, when I was training to be a journalist, we were told that if there's a big event anywhere that involves a lot of people, then if it's somewhere else in the world, ignore that and find the one English person and talk about them, because then you'll get people to care. And... I think it's just really strange that that's a society we we live in where we have to get people to care by. I, I know there's a thing of representation there. It's the same reason why we need more um, LGBT actors and, and, and black actors so that you can sort of connect with those people. But at the same time, shouldn't we be trying to get people to connect with other people as a human being rather than as the little pigeonholed boxes that everyone gets put in? Um, and that was, I'm not going to let me age go too much, but that was a long time ago. And even then it was like, well, you know, no one's going to care about all these people who have different colour skin or have um, different beliefs. Just find the one person who they do care about. And it's like, it's really sad. I'd love to, I'd love us to be able to get to a point where we could change that, but um, I'm not sure how we do that. Very good point. Uh, Chris is here and he's asking about the DLI Museum. Now, I don't know enough about the whole subject to offer a, a, a thing. I would love to know more, 
but it's one of these things now that it now that it's so far down again how do you find reliable information about these things because you get lots of lots of opinions off lots of people and it's very difficult to get first-hand information about this stuff so if anybody else would like to talk about that please do uh, but I'll let you find uh, Chris's comment and read it um apparently the three-point safety belt volvo didn't patent that either for the good of mankind it was um it was the the man who started up volvo his wife died in a car crash and he always said that any any there was always safety 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 with volvo so they always um anything that they brought in um with regards to safety was free for everyone to use and obviously everyone uses the three pin like the the three point seat belt which has saved so many lives and uh i think that's a lovely legacy for someone to have left you know rather than rather than a legacy of a load of cash that he's not going to be able to spend you know and volvo did quite well anyway didn't they you know they're still a very successful car firm so yeah some good comments on the situation in India from a political point of view. Um, Indu says it's the right wing government that's what's wrong with India. Modi had no problem announcing a lockdown with as little as four days notice in the first wave and has done nothing when the numbers started going up in February because there are elections in three states. It's a political decision. That's what that's what they think. Um So what was the, the, the Chris Hood comments about the DLI museum? This comes up a lot, doesn't it? The Durham mm. Light Infantry Museum, for those who aren't in the county Durham area. Um, it was a museum that looked after the Durham Light Infantry, um, you know, the history of the Durham Light Infantry. And I believe the Durham County Council decided to move that to a different place. Is is that mm. right? John probably is the expert on this one. <laughs> Sorry, John, but I don't I know. Got my I don't know about this because I described it as a rotting concrete box, and mm. and, and that's exactly what it was. Um, I've never been forgiven for that statement, and um, uh, and 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 sort of not only that, but they they enlist, and um, they go straight out to these. Um, uh, associations, online associations of ex-servicemen who regularly um, write to me telling me um, in foul words what they think about me. Um, the issue was was that um, in, the early, sort of in the early days of um, uh, the, the government cuts, those really vicious cuts, um, the, um, the issue of the DLI Museum came up it was just the wrong thing at the wrong time because there was really no money and because the amounts involved to actually deal with that building was so large in relation to the the money we didn't have and um so what they did was they went to discuss and they went to discuss with the um, museum trustees and with this other group whose name I believe, but it's the group that's responsible for um, regimental war museums. And they cooked up this plan. 
And what the plan was, was that um, they acknowledged that um, the ongoing subsidy to maintain the DLI Museum was just too much to afford. And they accepted a plan which moved a changing permanent display in the Palace Green Museum, in a room in the Palace Green Museum. And the argument was, was that sort of, where's this sort of um, little concrete box was tucked away in admittedly beautiful grounds in, in, in uh, near, near to County Hall. Um, and some people have been scattering ashes there. It was a very holy ground for many people. It was, we were thoroughly, thoroughly aware of all this. Um, but sort of what would happen is, is that the wonderful history of the DLI and the rich association with County Durham, in fact, by putting it in Palace Green, would open it up to millions of tourists who just um, uh, weren't going to the DLI Museum uh, and, 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 and it had, uh, it didn't have a disastrously low attendance, but it had nothing like the kind of attendance that you would want to see. And so they cooked up all this and, um, and brought it to County Hall and, and said, we're going to, to do this. What do you think of it? And, uh, and what they hadn't done is they had not at all discussed it with the DLI associations. Um, and when they heard that their museum, and there was a failure of communication as well, when they heard that their museum was going to close, they were furious. And there was all this um, uh, outbreak of anger, and um, uh, particularly against me. And, um, and sort of, and then to be fair, the display that they put in Palace Green was underwhelming and wasn't changed as often as they promised. And they let people down on that. There's no questions about this. And, um, uh, and then there's a whole load of lies being told about it, that we wanted the land to um, develop it for our business park which is just not true and never was true. Um, and, and you get the sort of rumor mongers building uh, sort of all these falsehoods, which don't help. Um, but anyway, what they've done is the county council is putting a new history center because our archives grew too big for downstairs in County Hall. Um, they were sort of storing massively important documents from the Middle Ages in downstairs toilets and things like that. It was just awful what was, and there was a, uh, a flood one day where there was a burst up in the in the floors up above and it came down and the, the, the staff had to rush in at 3 a.m. and rescue these priceless documents from this, this flood. And oh, so we needed a new archives. Um, at the same time, Mount Oswald, uh, the house up there, Manor House up there, was abandoned by the golf club. And uh, so we needed to, uh, and I, I don't mean in a bad way, it just was left. Um, and um, so we decided we would rescue Mount Oswald. We would put our archive collection there 
and it gave us the opportunity to put the DLI collection back together all in the same place where a good proportion of it will be on display. And before people go mad at me for saying there was a good proportion, it was never all on display. There was always more of it behind the scenes than there was on display. As, uh, 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 so, so there's going to be a, a good proportion of it on display. Um, hopefully we'll persuade them to actually do what they promise and keep changing it so we keep seeing, you get to see something different every time you go. And the, the final answer is going to be so much better than ever that was. And in the meantime, um, and again, it's one of those things that we keep promising and then nothing seems to ever happen. But in the meantime, we need to create somewhere sacred of that site. Um, and something can be built on the footprint of the building. I'm not quite sure what that will be, but it won't be an office block. And the grounds roundabout, roundabout will be preserved in some way, um, uh, sort of which hopefully gives proper respect to that area, which has been adopted by the DLI, and hopefully will be able to um, come out of it with the end result being better than the original result. In the meantime, I really object to um, the absolute cynical use of the DLI as a political bargaining chip by the Tories and by the opposition. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. They're criticising us for not doing right by the DLI whilst basically abusing them. So that's the, that's the story of the DLI from uh, the, the county council's point of view. And um, and that, that's the best I can say. Um, nobody at County Hall ever meant to show disrespect. And we certainly didn't want to um, close down our long and um, deep association of the County of Durham with the Durham Light Infantry. The two are intrinsically linked. And for God's sake, I'm a historian. So uh, though that's the, the, I realize I've gone on a long way, but thank you for allowing me to just sort of um, sort of give you the whole story. I think um, you know the, the fact of the matter is we have to accept that the council is not uh, like it's going to make mistakes. It's it's run by people who are human beings who make mistakes, um, and I think it's it's going to John to sort of highlight where he thinks those mistakes were made um chris comes back and says that uh, he's, he's got some freedom of freedom of information requests which indicate that keeping them as they are in spinnymoor is costing more than it did to keep the museum open but i think he's missing out the the missing piece is how much it would cost to renovate or rebuild the museum which was in disrepair is that right it was it, it needed so much work to it the main thing about the museum uh, sam was that um it, there was a whole um clothing section to it um which had been stored in a, in a way which was sort of up to the mark in the 1960s and 70s, but was not keeping those clothes in the proper condition now. 
So um, that would have required completely replacing. Now, when they took it to Spennymoor, and this is part of the cost, they, um, they put in something which looks after that clothing properly. Mm. And uh, sort of, and that will be transferred lock, stock, and barrel, and and, and replicated in um, uh, the history centre. Um, and in, in in a way, I, I can understand that people will say, "Well, of course you want to say that," but I really hope that you know when the new history centre is built, we've got the money to build it. We've put in an awful lot of money of our own, which we hoped we didn't have to, but we didn't get the grant, so we've coughed it up out of reserves. Um, uh, sort of. Um, and I'm hoping that sort of, for God's sake, let's draw a line on this uh, tale and let's set this thing up properly in the in the history centre in a way. And hopefully, because I'm not nothing to do with it. Hopefully, somebody's talking to the DLI associations about that display. And and uh, because these these things happen, they care. These people care about the DLI. Of course, they care about it. It's, it's sort of, um, it would be silly if they didn't. And so, um, and hopefully somebody's talking to them and we'll be able to move on uh, from it. The building had to go. Whatever you say, the building was unsustainable. Um, that is, is just the truth of it. Um, and um, uh, sort of, uh, what a mess it's been trying to get it sorted. And I'm hoping that the History Centre will be that new start where we can say well this is satisfactory thanks john paul i think that's a really understanding way and i think anyone who wants to understand will listen to what you said and whether they agree or disagree with you you've had a really good thorough explanation of your thoughts on it and that's really good but what's more insulting for me is um when people who dress in Nazi uniforms for fun um, in their spare time stand next to war memorials, go on about the DLI, do all these things, and we know the people we're talking about in County Durham, like genuine people who are genuine Nazis trying to, like, and I don't use the word, like, Anne's going to go nuts at us as well, after um, after a few things I've said today, because I made a joke about being on the fence, what I meant by that, Anne, by the way, was you clearly were not sitting on the fence with your views and Johnny Mercer, so it's like, get off the fence, Anne, you know, tell us what you really think, you always tell us what you really think, which is really good, but these people dress in Nazi uniforms believe in Nazi ideology and then come along and be like, we need to save our DLI. Our DLI? What are you on about? It's not your DLI. You have Nazi ideology. They fought against your ideology. So don't give us that. That absolutely boils my piss that someone would come along with their little fake little badges on, their little Nazi ideology, absolutely like destroy the legacy that our grandparents and our parents and our great-grandparents have built and will come along and try to make political capital out of something like that how dare they how dare they they want to be punched in the face i'm really sorry i'm getting myself a little bit annoyed about nazis but if you can't punch a, punch a nazi in the face then who in the world can you punch in the face not that i advocate face punching and I'm, I'm quite a non-violent person but not against Nazis, like punch them in the face. Please do. 
Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Paul. I mean, that's, that's kind of what was coming around in, in my head as well. You know, unfortunately, and I'm not saying this about Chris because I know Chris is not like this. I'm but not I, Chris. there are people, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but there are people who who use this um, as as an issue to coalesce some really far right and 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 nasty people the type of people who would put a brick through an mp's window for just doing a job the type of people who would harass young female politicians on twitter for years for absolutely no reason and make them afraid to sort of walk around and do their day-to-day things you know these are despicable people so just be careful when you are engaging with those discussions that you don't accidentally uh, fall upon these groups and yeah, keep keep your wits about you. I totally respect people giving the council fair criticism. I criticise the council. The reason I want to be on the council is because I think the council can do better if it is populated by people who are representative of the population. And that's why I, as a 32-year-old woman, with disabled children want to be on the council because I don't think 32 year old women with disabled children are being represented fairly by some of the decisions the council makes so if not if not me then who it's going to be a long time for me going around all of the 32 year old women with disabled kids in the county trying to convince them to stand (laughs) I'll tell you that much um so I think it's it's healthy and fair to respect the fact that the council doesn't make the right decisions all the time and it is up to people to give fair um scrutiny um and to to do do your freedom of information requests and find things that challenge people absolutely but i do think um yeah the the council are moving to to really genuinely show they care on this issue and rehouse the collection in, in a suitable place and I'll look forward to visiting it. Uh, Stuart, did you want to speak? Yeah, uh, I was just really fascinated by the austerity, you know, that maybe kicked this whole situation off. You know, would this have played out completely differently if, you know, things weren't, you know, being cut back the way they were over the last decade? You know, the, the effects that this is, you know, it's no doubt replicated across the country that, uh, you know, history and uh, our community's connection to it has been damaged by austerity. I think the damage to austerity, like the, the austerity has caused is huge. And it's, we see it all the time, but like we see it in the Tory leaflets at the moment. They're like, oh, look at us. Um, we'll, we'll fix the problems that Durham County Council caused that was caused by central government funding cuts. You're like, oh, come on, man. Come on. And I think they're gambling on the fact that people aren't paying attention rather than the fact that, well, they might think people are stupid. We don't think people are stupid. We know that people don't have time to engage in all these things. But, um, yeah. Have we talked about the convicted sex offender standing in Hartlepool yet? Who's that? No, we haven't. I was reading about him the other day. Oh, you put a post on Facebook, didn't you? Ridiculous. So apparently he was saying he wanted to stand to see if he would get found out. <laughs> well, he did. 
it's it's an expensive uh, bet to make, you know. He's well done. <laughs> you You've just thrown five hundred pound in the bin. What an idiot! Uh, for people who don't know, it costs five hundred pound to stand for an election in uh, a general election in the UK. And if you get less than like three percent of the vote, you you don't get that five hundred pound back. And it's supposed to just stop absolute idiots like this from taking uh, such a like disrespectful uh, attitude towards our elections. So this is the news that a uh, he's a convicted voyeur, which put him on the sex offenders register. Yeah, this this man um, was convicted for taking a video of a lady while she slept, uh, which he admitted that he used for sexual gratification. Um, she did actually accuse him of rape, but that, that conviction didn't stick, which also harks back to other conversations we've had on the show about how uh, rape is effectively decriminalised in the UK because almost everybody who does it gets away with it one way or another. So this... And that is not even an exaggeration. Literally <laughs> almost everyone. This is not an advocation of saying, do it, you'll get away with it. <laughs> it's like, it's pathetic. It really is. We need to do more. So he decided it was a good idea to stand as a general election candidate in Hartlepool. And he said, I didn't want to put it on my leaflet because I wondered if people would find out for themselves. Well, yes, you total dickhead. We've got Google. Honest. I'm so <laughs> angry about it. And I'm so angry about it that it like wasn't even picked up by the media until like you know this, this guy's been a candidate since the candidates were announced it wasn't even picked up by them and and people aren't talking about it because actually people don't care about sexual violence and and and, and rape and and people oh, it just it makes me so angry Oh, I don't yeah. think anybody else is going to have a so, very different opinion to me though go on then Paul he, he would have put it on his leaflet if he thought that people wouldn't have found out. Right. So he was like, ah, right. No, I'll tell you what, we'll play a little game of guess who. We're like, which one's, <laughs> which one's the sex offender? Dear me, I can't really, I can't get my head around this. This is ludicrous. Sex offenders, racists. Misogynists. You know, misogynists, you know. They're all, everybody's going for that hardly pulled by election. And it's not just the Hartlepool by-election, the Conservative candidate for police and crime commissioner, who may well win, was like regional organiser in UKIP and has been photographed on the type of far-right demos frequented by the type of very unsavoury people we were talking about in the last question. And that's absolutely, it's absolutely terrible time for um anybody <laughs> anybody in cleveland right now because the idea of giving that man some power is absolutely terrifying can i just introduce first of all uh jane strange we're overwhelmed by terrible stories and fear-monging it desensitizes people mm. what an insightful statement i think it's more than that jane but i think it also scares off all but the most hard-skinned of, and in, in a way, um, you end up with the only people who are prepared to put themselves up there uh, are, are people who sometimes got dreadful things to hide uh, or, or who don't give a damn, who are dreadful liars and think they can get away with it. That sort of 
ordinary humble people run away from the kind of exposure that you get in uh, any kind of political life at all. Uh, it's, I, I, I think it's horrific, really. Uh, really th- uh, Musa, after show is changing. I'd love you to, um, I'd love you to uh, flesh that out as well. Changing for the better, changing for the worse. Please let us know um, because we, we just sit here and chunter at you <laughs> for an hour. And um, and if we're chuntering wrong, then we need to be told. We don't want to turn people away. It's like a cake, isn't it, this bit? Like, no two are the same. You make them exactly the same. <laughs> you know, all the ingredients go in the same, but they never come out the oven the same. It's quite interesting. Yeah. We we did uh, we did a show the other day and uh, we did a crossover with socialist telly and it was really funny because uh, it was it was Ben doing his pint and politics and me and Laura went on that show and then Ben came on our socialist night live show and uh, and when we were when we were talking about like I think Ben was expecting some preparation for our show and we're like nope we don't do that we just wait for questions we have a general chat. And uh, not pulling any punches, Musa says. So that yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, so we we have a we have a general chat about things, and then wait for comments to come in, and then the comments like we've genuine like like this show. We we have another panelist, and the other panelist is our entire audience, and I love that. Mm. I love the fact that I, the show could go in any direction um, <laughs> because of what the because of what goes in the chat. Um, whereas like. Ben sent us like pre-questions so we could prepare and stuff like that, which is a really nice way to do it. But you've got kind of got to be good to do it off the seat of your pants. And, you know, know, this has been good preparation for everything in life, this little show. Well, that's why I, you know, continued to do it, um, even on on Aircliffe Radio, on the actual radio, because for me, it's all practice of, when you know in the future when I've got an actual political career <laughs> when I when I'm accosted by a little old lady in the street who says something totally off script I won't do a Gordon Brown and uh, <laughs> disgrace myself <laughs> um yeah well Jackie says she loves our country so I appreciate that the only thing I'm going to say about what Chris says and you'll have to read his comment for you because I'm not going to repeat it without knowing the facts uh i'm sure he's got his facts and i'm sure everybody on this panel believes that electoral law should be followed to the letter no matter what political party that person belongs to um but also mistakes are made and sometimes we've got a prime minister who says he would like to see bodies piled up in the street rather than uh, have a third lockdown so i'm not on that one, um, of course, I was um, privy to the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. My view on it was very different. Uh, Joy Allen was absolutely adamant that she had checked that it was private land and she checked with the landowner and mm-hmm. she produced um, a letter from the landowner describing exactly where his land went and sort of, um, uh, sort of, and that he allowed he, her to put her posters on it. So it is anything but proven, I think, that this was DCC land. 
And if it turned out in the end to be DCC land, um, then it was because the landowner got it wrong. Because yeah. <laughs> he was absolutely convinced it belonged to him. And where I was upset was that, um, in fact, um, we're not supposed to be using anything of our county council yeah. to be pursuing a political election campaign. Mm. And it was the Lib Dem, I think, if anything, we need to be looking at is not Joy Allen, who got permission from the person who believed he was the landowner. Uh, sort of, um, and I'm sort of, I don't like you, I don't know if it's gone any further, and he turned out not to be the landowner after all. But sort of everything that was that could have been done there was done correctly. But um, I want to know by what right the Lib Dem hijacked and used his county council email account to pursue a political campaign, which has now clearly got out into the public mm -hmm. domain. I'm, I'm aware and, uh, our podcast listeners won't have a clue what we're talking about here, by the way, because we haven't referenced it in words. Basically, Paul is that sort of um, Joy Allen is the PCVC candidate, the Police Crime and Victims Commissioner candidate, and sort of at Thinford, where um, they're, they're doing a lot of work, um, uh, and, and sort of that she put up some campaign posters um, on land she believed to belong to the person who believed that the land belonged to him, and he gave her permission to do that. And one of the Lib Dems uh, used their county council email account to send an email to every Lib Dem, uh, to every um, county councillor, um, outing what he um, believed was um, uh, sort of a mistake by uh, Joy Allen. And uh, Joy Allen came back and uh, denied this. And this all happened on the county council email stream and it should not have done that's my point um sort of whether this has gone further i i can't tell you that but that's what they're talking about Paul. right then last word let's let's end it on a bombshell who is going to win in hartlepool paul tories john Jim Atkinson, who's a county councillor standing in, um, he that that would be a shock because he isn't even <laughs> he isn't even one of the candidates. John. Who's, he has a different view on this, and what he says is that the voters are not stupid, and they know when they're being worked. And he said the kind of people who vote are are the people who are interested mm. and they're different from the um, people who make their mouth go out of ignorance and join in those long streams of vitriol on social media. He says many of those people don't vote. Yeah. And he said he trusts the voters to make the right decision now. So it comes down to how much do you trust the people of Hartley, the voters of Hartlepool, 
to um, to make the right decision. I think in this, there's been a significant number of doubts cast against the Labour candidate. And um, Paul's absolutely right. Many of those are by Labour Party people slagging off their own candidate, um, mm -hmm. rightly or wrongly. Um, it comes on the back of a bit of a scandal about the departing Labour chappie and at a real nadir of Labour Party um, in the polls. And um, I think local politics gets divorced from the, the national polls and the national, but this is a by-election and it's about the national scene. And everything we've been saying about the, the, the hero worship of the government, however awful they are, and the 10 points ahead in the, the, the thing, and it's going to be very difficult mm. Labour to hang on to Hartlepool, indeed. Yeah. And um, sort of... Um, Just really quickly, uh, you've, got to, you've got to remember the history in Hartlepool. Like, Peter Mandelson was incredibly unpopular as an MP. Like, he's a, the, the stories about him going into a fish and chip shop and saying... Oh, what's that? Can I, is that guacamole? And it's like, no, it's mushy peas, Peter. Um, you know, and he's he was very... People say that. I don't know whether it's a true story or not, but he's very divorced from the reality of Hartlepool. They wailed him out the other day. They're putting him out for a campaign video. I was quite annoyed because that means that someone who's working on that campaign, who I absolutely love to pieces... Um, is now one degree of separation away from Jeffrey Epstein, which means I'm two degrees of separation away from Je Jeffrey Epstein. I'm not happy about that. I'm not happy about his behaviour. I don't like Jeffrey Epstein. I am not a fan of international paedophile ring traffic, like child traffickers. Um, and I'm happy That's for that. I'm, I'm happy to put down my statement out. Like, you know. So, you know, it's an, a, probably an uncontroversial opinion, but not in the Labour Party at the moment, apparently, where Mandelson was wheeled out this week. Like, what are they doing? Seriously, what are they doing? Everyone hates Peter Mandelson that I've ever met. Like, you know, even people in the Labour Party, people the right of the Labour Party, the left of the Labour Party, everyone hates him. Don't bring him out. People in Hartlepool, DME, they hate him. You know, a solid, a solid Labour town forever is now thinking, you know, well, you know, they're bringing back Mandelson. Are they, is that the direction they're going in? I went out and campaigned in Hartlepool last time and it was a hard job. You know, people were brought, like, believed all the lies about the previous leader and, you know, we challenged that on the doorstep and we tried to, tried to help. But the leadership of the Labour Party are trying to already um, blame this on the previous leadership. Just saying one thing, in 2017... We had um, the Labour Party had the best majority they'd had since two thousand and one in Hartlepool. In twenty nineteen, they won comfortably. If they lose in twenty twenty one, that is not because of the previous leader. Let's put that unequivocally right out there. The Labour Party leadership need to own this. 
They have run the campaign the way they wanted. They've brought Mandelson in. They've uh, put Paul Williams in there, who they wanted to, and then all the revelations came out about his um, uh, alleged misogyny. And then they brought in Mandelson, which everyone thinks is a terrible idea. They need to own this. And if they, if they, and I, I, I desperately, desperately hope that Labour don't lose this. But if they do, if Labour lose this, own it. The leadership needs to own it. This is not Jeremy Corbyn's fault. Okay, Stuart, are Labour winning it? Uh, I don't know. You know, there's there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of dynamics, but Paul's right. It, but there's a paradox there, isn't there? So if they blame it on the last leadership, it means that Keir Starmer is no different to the last guy and there's been zero change since 2019. And if they, if they take the credit of losing it themselves or winning it themselves, you know, and to be fair, the the, the polls make it look like we're, we're going to lose Hartlepool. If they take the credit for losing it and it's all their fault, that shows that also nothing's changed. You know, Laura, in short, in shortest terms as possible. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely don't know, but I'm I'm interested to, to see who wins, and then I can deconstruct why that person won and why Labour lost. Probably <laughs> the interesting sort of dynamic that I don't think any of the national polling can predict is the fact that there are also all out um council elections at the same time as the general election general election parliamentary by election um so there are campaign teams and have been for the last week doing four doorknock concessions a day in almost every ward in Hartlepool so it'll be interesting to see whether that real boots on the ground effort has been able to um and and maybe you know maybe it's the local councillors who will bring it home for Labour uh, rather than the national political swing but I do think we, we need to really look at uh, how we look at our messaging for different parts of the country like Paul was saying you know we, we should be cho choosing I mean I know <laughs> I, I know we have in the past chosen who we send to different parts of the country based on how well we think they would be received um but you know we need northern messages to secure northern uh wins and I think that's been really lacking in all of this campaign, actually. Um, but this is where we will end it because it is 10 to 11 and it is very late and we're all very tired. Uh, <laughs> and yes, we will. I'm sure we will come on to Chris's question next week, which will be very, very, very timely because next week is, of course, the week of the election. Very exciting. <laughs> right then bye bye everybody say bye bye Paul do a plug um, oh yeah become a become a member of Socialist Think Tank um, um, Jane has dropped that in the messages earlier on 
please do that if you if you like us you can donate or you can't it's up to you you can you will be equally loved whether or not you donate but we do like donations because it does help us um to uh offset some of the massive costs that we have for running these things but um and uh yeah look out for merch soon as well because the merch is coming the merch is coming and uh and uh yeah like share subscribe do all those lovely things and i will see you um soon Keep the red flag flying here